He is risen. That's exactly right. And that's why we're here. And that's what we're going to celebrate. You know, I love that video. That video is so powerful because it reminds us of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, right? It absolutely does. He can change lives. Scott is an amazing guy. I know many of you know him. I'm so glad that he was willing to share his testimony with us. Scott would say he is the prodigal son. He is. And that beautiful parable that Jesus taught about the prodigal son was every bit as much about the father, right, as it is about the son. Because the son is lost and the son has made horrendous life choices. And then one day as the son decides to go back and ask just to be his father's servant, the father sees him on the horizon. And what does the father do? He runs to embrace his son, and he treats him like almost royalty. That's such a beautiful thing, and that's what resurrection power does. I think of Spencer and Megan, again, so grateful they were willing to share their story. Married a year and a half, and things were going down the tubes for them. Aren't you grateful for Christians who love you enough to say, you can't do that? (laughs) You must not do that. You know, the word intervention really can be a good word, and it is a good word. And I'm so grateful that Spencer and Megan had been part of a small group that truly loved them, truly loved them, and were able to love them back as Spencer and Megan responded to what Jesus was doing in their lives and conviction. And isn't it beautiful to say, and we're in love again. (laughs) Jesus did that. We call that the resurrection power of Christ. And that's why we're here today. You know, it's interesting to me that a lot of people uh, know that the resurrection is important, but they're not exactly sure why. Why is it so important? Yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. That's, that sounds incredibly good, and it is really good, but why? And that's kind of what I want to talk about with you today. You know, there are people who will say, I understand that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. In fact, that's a phrase that often our children, maybe as young as three or four years old, can say back to us. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. That's wonderful, honey. (laughs) We're so glad you know that and that you can say that. But, you know, the resurrection is kind of like act two of a two-part drama. It's the sequel the essential sequel of the two-part drama. So it's not just the fact, as critically important as it is for us to understand why Jesus died on the cross, why the, we call it the atonement of Christ, him paying the penalty for the sins of the world was so incredibly important. One of the focal point, I would say, the focal point of human history in addition to three days later when he rose from the grave. Nothing's more important in human history than the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But often the question is, why is the resurrection so important? What does the Bible have to say about that? And so that's really what I want to focus on with us this morning, certainly to see why the resurrection was so crucial and so vitally important, but then to see how that applies to you, how this beautiful resurrection power that we've sung about, that we have seen in the testimony of Scott and Spencer and Megan is that work in our lives, how you can have that power in your life as well. Okay, I'm going to have you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you have your Bible, many of you do. We're going to put these up on the screen, these verses. 
First Corinthians chapter 15, the author, the human author is the Apostle Paul. And I love uh, how Paul addresses if the resurrection did not happen. If the resurrection did not happen, what would be the consequences of that? That's what Paul is addressing. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 12. Paul writes, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is our faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Wow. Now, Paul's given us a hypothetical here because Paul certainly does not believe that Christ did not raise from the dead. He certainly believes he did. But Paul's saying, here's why this is so important. Here's why it is so crucial that the cross and the, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross must be tied to the empty tomb. They are both critical in our salvation experience. So here's what he says. If consequence one, if Christ did not raise from the dead, is we have a futile faith. We have a futile faith. We are still slaves to and condemned by our sin. Paul says our preaching is useless. We're even false witnesses of God. And that's a horrible thing. You know, we talk a lot as Christians about what does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean to be a child of God? Think of all the blessings that come in our lives because we are in Christ. We have a life connected with Christ. He is the vine. We are the branches. We get life from him. And yet if he did not raise, he is dead. He's still in the grave, decaying. And our faith is futile. Paul goes on, the gospel is a lie. Prayer is a sham. Believing that Jesus prays for us continually from his position of the right hand of the Father is a fairy tale if Christ did not raise from the dead. Second, we are forever lost. We are forever lost. Our eternity is doomed Those who have died as Christians are not in the presence of Christ. They will not live forever and worship him. Many of us, as we go to funerals of dear grandparents who die or parents who die or spouses who die or siblings who die, and as grieving and as difficult as those scenarios are, what is our hope if that person was a believer that she's with Jesus, right? 
that we will be reunited. If we're believers, we will be reunited with that person we love so dearly. And Jesus is saying, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, Paul's saying, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, there's no hope. There's no hope. We would have to rewrite that famous hymn, Amazing Grace, to say this, I once was lost, and I still am. Was blind, and I can't see. Thankfully, it doesn't say that. But if Jesus hadn't raised from the dead, that's what it would say. Third, we have lived a flawed life. Paul says we are most to be pitied. He said we've built our lives on a lie. You know, so much of the Christian life is about being selfless. It's about having a life. In fact, Jesus said five different times in the Gospels that whoever would follow me must deny himself, right? Take up his cross and follow me. It's the idea of dying to self. It's the idea of, of I live for Christ. I don't live for myself. My life is hidden in Christ. I live for him. And the out, outpouring of that is I give my life to serve others as I first serve Jesus, my Lord. Now, Paul says, if that's your approach to life, but Jesus is still dead, you serve a Savior that is still in the grave. Paul says it this way. We are most of all people to be pitied because it's a wasted life. It's a pitiful life if you've not done things for yourself. Now, thankfully, Paul goes on to say in verse 20, but, don't you love it? But. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Hallelujah, right? Amen to that. So what are some benefits? What are the benefits because Jesus has raised from the dead? I, w- I want to go into this with you a bit because I think this is so crucial as we celebrate this holiday, as we celebrate this incredible monumental truth of Jesus rose from the grave. So I think I have five I want to share with you. Here's my first one. The gospel message was validated when Jesus rose from the grave. The gospel message was validated when Jesus rose from the grave. Earlier on in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, the apostle Paul lays out what he calls the gospel, the gospel message. The word gospel simply means the good news. Look at verse 3 with me, 1 Corinthians 15. For what I received, I passed on to you as the first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. I want you to see four parts of the gospel that he talks about here that are really, really important to understand. That Christ died on the cross for our sins. Number two, which is not often talked about. Number two, though, that is included here is, and that he was buried. Why is that a big deal? Because Jesus was really dead. Jesus was declared dead, okay? Jesus was not just in a coma. Jesus didn't just pass out and they couldn't get a pulse. Jesus was dead, declared dead. Then on the third day, he rose from the grave, And then you see again, it says, part four is that he appeared. 
Isn't that interesting? That he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and to the twelve. And we know that he appeared to some of the women. And we know later on he appeared to 500 people. He made multiple appearances after his resurrection to prove that he was a physical body again. He was not a ghost. He was not a spirit. He was a physical body. And on one occasion, he even eats some food, right? And so he demonstrated that he was a physical body. The gospel message is validated because part of the gospel message is on three days, Jesus said, I will rise again, and he did. So it's so important to complete or to give validation to the fact of what, the work on, what his work on the cross meant by him rising from the dead. It's kind of like, uh, you know, when uh, a notary seals a document. It's official. It's kind of this idea of a, of a stamp or a stamp of approval. It's official. And so the validation of the resurrection made the cross and his work on the cross official is the point. Okay, let me give you a second. Christ's sacrifice was accepted. That means that he paid the penalty for the sins of the world in full. It wasn't a complete, it wasn't an incomplete payment. It wasn't a partial payment. He paid it in full. My wife and I are buying a, a, a piece, of, piece of furniture that we really like. And when we picked it out, didn't have the money to say, oh, check or swipe my card for the whole thing. So we gave a down payment. And it was kind of fun because two days ago I went in and I paid it off. Yeah. And what I got rightly so, was a receipt, and the person wrote on the receipt, paid in full. I don't have to pay any more money. I don't owe them one more cent, because paid in full. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he paid our penalty for our sin in full, completely. Super important to understand that. Let me give you another one. That divine justice was satisfied when Jesus died and rose from the grave. Divine justice. God is a holy God. God hates sin. We are all sinners, right? We are. The reason why Jesus Christ died on the cross, Jesus, by the way, referred to as the God-man, the second member of the Trinity, God from eternity past became man. That's what happened in Bethlehem. He became man. And because he was perfect and sinless, he could be the perfect, sinless sacrifice for the sins of everyone. And so that's why God poured out his judgment, poured out his wrath for sin upon Jesus. We call that Good Friday. Just celebrate that a few days ago. We call that Good Friday because it was good for us. There's a word in 1 John chapter 2. We don't need to turn there. I'll just tell you the word. It's one of those kind of uh, what we might call theological words that we find periodically in Scripture. It's the word propitiation. Any of you know that word? Propitiation. I bet some of you do. It tells us that Jesus Christ was the propitiation for our sins 
And not only for ours, John says, but for the sins of the whole world. The word propitiation very simply means completely satisfied. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ completely satisfied the payment for sin for the entire world. And there's a reason why as Jesus hung on the cross, one of his very last words before he said, into your hands I commit my spirit, Father, he said this, it is finished. It is finished. What is finished? What was finished was that he had completed the total payment for the sins of the world on the cross. That's what he did. Jesus Christ had been connected, united with the Father from eternity past. He became man. He walked on this earth. He dwelt on this earth for 33 years. And it was during that time that he was on the cross. Not only was it finished, physical torture and agony in every way. That was not the greatest pain that he experienced. The greatest pain our Lord experienced on the cross was separation from the Father. As some have said, it is that the Father turned his back on his Son and poured out the wrath for the sins of the world upon him. And that's, my friend, my friends, why Jesus Christ said, my God, my God, Why have you forsaken me? Because during that time, he became the complete bearer of the sins of the world. That's what he did for us. And God's divine justice was satisfied. Let me give you a fourth, and that's Christ's blood paid our ransom or paid our debt. God's blood paid our ransom. One of my favorite, one of the most beautiful verses in all the New Testament to me is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. Listen to this. This is so amazing. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is mind-blowing. God made him the perfect one. God made him who knew no sin to be sin, to be the object of God's wrath for all of sin so that we, the sinners, might become the righteousness of God. Theologians call this the great exchange. I love that. Jesus got our sin, we got his righteousness. Isn't that just mind-blowing? That is so incredible. And if, my friends, you ever, when life is tough and you're going through challenging things in your life, if you ever say, I'm not so sure God loves me. (laughs) Really? Really? He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we could get his righteousness. And that righteousness is because he is alive. A fifth is that it's his resurrection is a pledge for our resurrection. <laughs> this is such an awesome thing. It's a pledge of our resurrection. Jesus is referred to as the first fruits of the resurrection. You, you understand that concept in Scripture, the first fruits? Those of you who garden... When that first tomato appears, you like go crazy, right? 
and you can't wait till it's red, and you kind of touch it to see if it'll fall off, you know, because you don't want to rip it off because it's probably not ready yet. You just are waiting for it to be ripe and ready. That's your first fruit. But what do you hope? You hope that's not the only one. If it is, that's a very faulty plant. It got diseased or died or something happened to it. But it's the first fruit of many to follow. Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits of our resurrection. Do you know that the scriptures teach that? If you're a believer, you're going to rise from the dead. 1 Thessalonians, again, don't have time to turn there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18 is an incredible passage that talks about our resurrection. The Thessalonian believers were super worried that their loved ones, their family members who had died and already been buried, they were just so distraught about the fact that they'd never see them again. They wouldn't experience resurrection. And so the Apostle Paul gives them this beautiful teaching about resurrection. He said that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, we will be raised from the dead. And he says that time is when Jesus appears in the clouds. And he says those who have died in Christ who are in their graves will be caught up. And if we're alive at that time, those of us who are alive will be caught up together with them. And we we will meet the Lord there in the clouds and forever we will be with him. Some of us call that the rapture of the church when we are caught up together with those who've died in Christ. And we're going to have a resurrected body. So you can contemplate that today if you eat too much. Uh, A resurrected body. I don't know what our resurrected body is going to look like, but apparently they're going to look a lot like Jesus' resurrected body. No more illness, no more aging. Maybe you will be the most beautiful version of yourself. I don't know. But what I do know is that body will last forever and ever and ever and ever. We're going to spend eternity in the body. We're not going to be floating around. We're going to have bodies. And his resurrection is the model, is the first fruit of what our resurrection bodies are going to be like. Okay, let me review real quickly. Consequences if the resurrection was not true, disaster. Number two, benefits because it is true, amazing. So let me talk for just a little bit longer with you about implications of the resurrection for us as believers. Here's another passage we're going to look at real quickly. Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. It'll be up on the screen. First, or Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Here's, again, the words of the Apostle Paul. He begins by saying, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I want to know Jesus personally, is what the Apostle Paul saying here. Now, I thought Paul already was a believer when he wrote the book of Philippians. Yeah, had been for a long, long time, for many years. If you go back to Acts chapter 9, you'll see Paul's conversion experience. I want to know him. So what does it mean by, by that? You know, often when we talk about the idea of knowing people, you know, you can know somebody that you just met today, and you learn their name, and you talk to them for two or three minutes, kind of got together with them, and then maybe when you come back to church again, you'll see that person say, hey, um, it's Joe, right? Yeah, Joe, Joe, great to see you. 
That's one kind of knowing. And that person you might develop a little bit of a friendship with, but then there's a whole other type of knowing someone. Uh, June 16th of this year, my wife and I are going to celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary. Like, there's no way Kath, there's no way Kathy's that old. You know? Do you think we know each other? Uh, yes. Scary. It's scary how much she can read my mind. It just is very scary to me. We know each other. Why? Because we have journeyed our lives together for 40 years. And we just know each other. That deep experiential knowing. Thanks for the applause, by the way. I appreciate that. That experiential knowing is the word that Paul's using here. And here's Paul. You think God, Paul was a godly guy? You think Paul loved Jesus? Not only did he read scripture, he wrote scripture. And yet he says to us from prison, Philippians was written in prison. He says to us that I might know Jesus. That is what matters so much to me that I might know Jesus. And I want to know the power of his resurrection. Do you know what's that resurrection power of Christ? That's what saved you. Do you know you can't save yourself? You can't be good enough? Many of you know that. So important to know that. But God's the one who regenerates us. God's the one who stirs life within us as we are drawn to him and as we respond to him. The resurrection power, we sang about it this morning. I love that song. That's good theology. It's good music too but it's really good theology. That resurrection power is what helps you and me obey Jesus when we don't feel like it. Walk with him, honor him, love him. That resurrection power, that spirit of God power in our lives. Do you pray that the Lord would give you his power? Hope you do. Because that's what you need. That's what I need to become more and more like Christ. And then you see the third thing he says in the fellowship of his sufferings or participation in his sufferings is like, okay, wait a minute. Knowing Jesus, check, good. Power of his resurrection, absolutely, good. Participation with him in his sufferings? <laughs> uh, maybe not. No, that's what Paul says. Please, please, please understand that he's not saying uh, contributing to the atoning work of Christ on the cross. He is not saying that. But here's what he's saying, my friends. And Paul just knew this by his own experience. He is so deeply committed to being like Christ and walking with Christ and knowing Christ that he says, give it all to me. <laughs> even his sufferings, even the pain, even the rejection, even the persecution, which Paul certainly experienced in his life. Because I want to so, be so close to Jesus. I want to be so united as the branch with the vine. He's the great vine. I want to be so united to him. And Paul would say this, and also I have found that suffering is what makes me more like him. <laughs> suffering is what makes me more dependent on him. Suffering is what God uses to refine me and humble me and break down that pride and arrogance in my life. Suffering is what makes me needy. And I won't cry out to him if I'm not needy. So Paul says, yes, participation with him in his suffering. And then that last one, that I might attain to the resurrection when he returns. I'm going to have the team come on out. I want to 
share just a personal story as I wrap up. Um, I grew up, I grew up uh, in a home where I'm one of six kids, by the way. Some of you know my story. I, I'm one of five boys in my family, sister, five boys. The typical response of all the moms is, your poor mom. And you have no idea how barbaric we were. It was terrible. But we're all alive, and that's a good thing. So I grew up in a home, and because I grew up a long, long time ago, it was very, very appropriate, still is in some parts of the country, just to go to church. Of course, we're a good church-going family. So I grew up in a church, went pretty much every Sunday. I grew up in one of those churches that I, t- I really honestly don't believe that I ever heard the gospel. Now, maybe I heard it in VBS or Sunday school or somewhere. I didn't know what the gospel was. So I was one of those kids, kind of a typical high school kid, uh, no purpose, had a really good time in high school. Uh, did okay in school, but in my own way tried to be good, tried to be a good boy, you know. So I go off to college, and about halfway through my freshman year of college, some guy knocked on my door, sat down with me, and he pulled out this little pamphlet, this little pamphlet called The Four Spiritual Laws. Any of you ever heard of it? (laughs) Of course, some of you had. And he shared the gospel with me, just four points. God loves you, Christ died for you, accept him as your savior, eternal life, and you know, just shared this message with me. And it's like God connected the dots for me. It's like that is it? I mean, that really is the key to this message of eternal life? And this guy said, absolutely. Well, I wasn't ready to pray that moment because I'm, I'm like, okay, if I really get this, if I really understand this, this is like the most important decision of my life. I'm glad I realized that. This is such an important decision. And so over the next two months, I felt like, looking back now, the Holy Spirit was just smacking me and smacking me and convicting me and smacking me. It was not a fun two months. So two months later, I'm in a, a church on a Sunday morning. Oh, guess what morning? Easter! March 30th, 1975 was that morning. And the pastor preached the gospel, and he talked about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I was filled with emotion, and I started to bawl. And I just said, Jesus, forgive me. I give my life to you. And you know what? I am one of those people that was radically changed. I was. So much of the junk in my life was gone. It was it's just so amazing. And within a little over a year, I felt God called me to ministry. That's not common necessarily, but that's my story. Today is 44 Easter's later. <laughs> And if I think about my life without Jesus, it's a horror to me to think about. And the message is still the same. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin because of his incredible love for you. He paid the penalty in full for your sin. And three days later, he demonstrated his 
power over sin, over death, and he is alive. And we're told that he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he prays for you, and he loves you, and he listens to you when you cry out to him. And he is anticipating the day that he's going to call you home, and you're going to get to see him face to face, just as I am. But until that day, he wants you to live for him, tapping into that resurrection power of his spirit in our lives. It's pretty awesome that I get to say I got saved on Easter. (laughs) It's pretty awesome that I can share that with you. So guess what? Today's Easter. If you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've never acknowledged your sin and your need for a Savior, not going to church, not being a good person, I mean truly acknowledge your need for Jesus to save you. Today might be the day for you. He is alive. He loves you. Maybe this morning his Holy Spirit is even tugging at your heart. Please listen. Please respond. It's the most beautiful thing. Just Scott's testimony, Spencer and Megan's testimony, the power of a risen Savior changes everything. It's my prayer that you experience that if you haven't. Would you pray with me, Father in heaven? Oh, how we love Jesus. <laughs> just, to, just to ponder him and talk about him and know him and think about him just overwhelms us. What a great Savior. And Lord Jesus, you're alive. You're alive. And someday we're going to get to see you face to face and hug you <laughs> and even be raised in our resurrection bodies. We long for that day. And until that day, Father, help us to be faithful to you. Help us to live by your power. We are too weak. We are too helpless to do this Christian life on our own. We need you. We desperately do need you. This morning, as I talk with, with you for a moment, my friends, Maybe you've never embraced Christ as your Savior, and today's the day. You feel the Lord drawing you to do that. You just have to acknowledge your sin. Lord, I've sinned against you, and I I need your cleansing in my life. I need salvation. I need you to be Lord. I want you to be Lord of my life. You can tell him that. You don't have to say it out loud. You don't have to come down an aisle. You can say that to him in your heart right now. And if you've said that, please acknowledge to him that you want to give your life to honor him and serve him. So, Father, thank you for these precious ones here today. Thank you that they're here. We are so honored that they've joined us at Mission Point. I pray that this would be a very special, meaningful day for all of us because our Savior has risen. In his name we pray. Amen.